morning, as has already been mentioned, uh, is the, the sermon before this happens. Uh, tell me, are you looking forward to this? If you look in the, in the column here on the right, you'll notice one of my favorite things. Have you ever had Coke salad? This is the one time of the year that you eat Coke salad, right? You know, I mean, maybe at a potluck or something like that. But Thanksgiving, man, Coke salad is awesome. And luckily, that white powder is like no calorie sweetener. So I get the, well, I don't get any Coke salad this year, but it's still one of my favorite things. And you ever have this? It's the only time of year you ever eat the, the on the table is the sweet marshmallow, you know, and that's not a dessert item, guys. I don't care what you say, that's not dessert. That is part of the savory meal. You know, absolutely. Eat those sweet potatoes. The sweet potatoes themselves have a low glycemic index. So diabetics, you can eat those. And we won't tell about the marshmallows. And then, uh, you know, but the real reason we're doing it, right, is to gather together with family, be together. No, it's not. We're getting together for the pie. This <laughs> is... And then after, you know, you've been to the, the table, you've gone back to the buffet line like the seventh time or maybe the 40th time, you know, and you're hurting, then what do you do? You watch football, right? You watch football. <laughs> hey, I Googled football. What are you laughing at? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's football. This is one of my favorite football pictures ever. Because, I mean, as much as it's a contest between rivals, Look at how much the star hat guy loves the Native American hat guy. I mean, he just is loving him. He's giving him a big hug. Knocking him off his feet with the love. You know, I, I don't really follow hockey. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you've been here more than a year, you know this is how I start out this sermon every single year. Have you noticed that? You know? Why do, we, why do I do that? What's in the nature of the thing that we're dealing with? You know what that thing is? That's a feast. Absolutely, it is time to feast. What is a feast for? I start my sermon every single year with the same string of jokes. If I'm here for a decade or more, I guarantee you there will go up a football picture next year and the year after and so forth, every year. Why? Because I am very uncreative. You know, and once I find a thing that works, and, uh, you know, no, it is because it is in the nature of a feast. Have you ever noticed that you eat turkey every single year on the, what is it, the third Thursday of November? Every year. And you might eat a ham too. I intend to polish off an entire turkey and a ham myself. Used to be able to do that. (laughs) Every year you do that. Why do you do that? Because it's a feast. And there's something about repeating it over and over again that stirs the memory and settles the truth into you. We have a bedtime routine in my house. We don't get to do it and it's harder to go to bed when we don't but we read before bed for about half an hour we're working our way through the lord of the rings right now we read the bible and we read some other book and then the kids got to get yelled at to brush their teeth you know and get their pjs on yeah no you know it's true you know and and then they settle into bed and they settle down and we pray and as i'm adding out the door 
guys, what do you say? Every time. Good night. I love you. See you tomorrow. Every single time. And then generally speaking, I've got to close the door and then open it back up and say, go to sleep. And then close the door. That's our routine. You do it the same way every time. Why? Because we're settling in the truth. You are loved here. You're safe here. You know? And, and it's, it's time to rest in the hands of God. We pray every night. Why? Settle it into God. You do these rhythms in your life because they settle truth into you. The truth is, every culture, I don't care where you go in the world, every culture has its feasts. Every single one. Feasts establish value systems. That's what they're for. I mean, okay, they're for eating really good food, right? But the reason that you eat really good food is it stirs up this pleasure, all the dopamine, and it connects it up to these values, and it settles the values into your heart. Fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach? Well, that's what a feast does. It goes through your stomach to get to your heart. And so this week, for instance, you were about to eat more food than you need to. You don't feel bad about that. It's a feast. It's something God knows that you do. He even established it, planned for it, right? And what is this feast for, this one that we're about to eat? Well, it's to tell this story, right? I don't know that America ever did it, but I like to romanticize and think that when, when the feast was originally being eaten back there in the 1800s, that they would tell this story while they ate it. They would remember that hard winter in Plymouth and, and how the natives came and, and helped them and how they shared the bounty that God had given to them and that, and that people who would later in, in this country's history become enemies sat down together in a moment of thanks and they gave thanks to God. We've given the telling of that story now mostly to our schools. I don't even know what our schools are doing as much as they used to. Used to, we'd have Thanksgiving pageants where the kids would dress up as pilgrims. Do you remember that? You know, and you make a turkey with your hand. You do the print on the page, and then you draw the turkey beak on there, and you make feathers out of your fingers. You do that every year. Make a big black stovepipe hat. You know, every year they... Schools doing that because we're not telling the story, but this is the place where the story gets told, and it settles that value at this time of year heading into Thanksgiving the teachers want to settle the values of America into our young and so they're telling the story of the feast although I, I, like to say, I don't know that that's happening as much anymore. I don't know that it's this, this story is carrying weight anymore we are increasingly the feast is increasingly less and less about America and more and more about family it's about gathering together in our individual family units. And instead of telling the story, we eat the traditional food. But the feast is functioning more like a reason for people that we love to get together. Our society cares less and less about its founding. It's not telling the story as efficiently or, or well. And as you see that, you, you'll see the decimation of a feast. But what if we use it? You know that every year you do this, just like every year you cut down a tree, put it in your living room, and eat candy out of your socks. Every year we do this stuff. We have these rhythms every year. What if 
and I'm going to spitball in here, but what if there was a way for us as Christians to use this American rhythm to build up our lives as Christians? To become intentional about the, the Thanksgiving feast, the one I'm talking about here today, to use it to foster faith. Is that possible? I will tell you that God, actually, I think, would think quite a lot of that idea because he did it himself. God is a God who cares about feast and rejoicing and celebrating and using it to tell his story. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. It says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, and the feast of booths. It's three times a year, every year, he intended for them to eat lots of food. And when that happened, they're supposed to remember their God. What are those three times a year? Well, the first one is the Seder, you know, which means the recitation or the telling. What is the Seder meal? Well, I mean, it's a really big meal for one thing, but on every Seder table, you'll find one of these. A plate and a cup and a little pamphlet booklet called the Haggadah. And when you gather for this feast, what do you do? Well, like I said, you eat a bunch of food. Passover is really a huge celebration. But in the course of the Passover, there are the four questions. At some point during the meal, you ask the question, why is, and in fact, it's always the oldest son, ask the daddy, why is this night different from other nights? It's really one question with four observations that are all put into the context that question and so become questions. So all other nights we eat leavened bread, but this night it's just matzah. All other nights we eat all kinds of vegetables, but now just bitter herbs. We usually don't dip our food at all, but here we dip, them, dip our food twice. And on other nights we eat either sitting down or reclining, but now it's just reclining. Why is this night so different? And so what the dad will then do is he'll interpret the feast. He'll work his way around that plate. I'll go back one slide. And work his way around that plate. By the way, if you just eat what's on that plate, you're going to go hungry. You know, that's a shame bone. You know, unless you're a dog gnawing, you're not going to be real full, filled up with that plate. But that plate is there so, so that you can tell the story. The purpose of the feast. The unpacking of what God has done. And so each of those elements on the table, they mean something. And they, what you do is you tell the deliverance story. You tell the exodus. The time when we were rescued. The next that he mentions is the feast called Pentecost or the Shavuot. What is this? This happens in the early spring, right? No, um, I'm sorry, not early spring. It happens, uh, well, 50, 50, week, 50 days after Easter. So as we're heading into harvest time, right? What's the big thing on the table here? Well, the big thing on the table here is milk of some kind, some kind of dairy product. The traditional... Uh, the traditional dessert for Shavuot is, uh, is cheesecake because Jews are very smart. <laughs> That's good. I don't care who you are. Man. Cheesecake is awesome. Why? Why are we eating dairy products at this time of year? Well, what land were we going into? A land flowing with milk and honey. And so as we pick up harvest time, we remember, who is it that blessed us? Who is it that provided for us? And what exactly did He provide? 
you know, not a little bit. A land flowing with milk and honey. He is a rich, blessing God. He has blessed us so immensely, and so we remember our blessings. And then there's one other time of year they're supposed to show up, and that's the festival of booths. You've got to say that one carefully. Uh, I once preached an entire sermon on the festival of booths, and half of the people in the room thought I was being inappropriate, and the other half thought I was talking about getting drunk. No, not booze. No, it's booths. It's to the festival of tents, okay? Now, what's the big deal about this one? Well, I mean, what's the food here? Well, it's not so much, you know, uh, Sukkot is not so much about the food as where you eat the food. You set up a tent in your backyard and you go camping for and that feast is eaten outside. And why are they doing that? Well, because for 40 years, they lived in tents. They followed Moses, and it was in tents. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's really funny up here. <laughs> Down there, it's not working as well, but up here, it's great. Anyway, you know, they're telling the story. In fact, that's what all three of these major feasts are about, is about telling the story. And you know what's, what's, what's uh, fascinating? God set this up three times a year so that they would remember their life. They would repeatedly and constantly engage and say, what is this God of mine about? They would remember that God is deliverer. And they would remember this stuff corporately so that they can remember it personally. So they would know what kind of relationship God is wanting to have with them. So God is Savior, Rescuer, Redeemer. How do I know? Because of Passover. And I know that since He saved us, He will save me. And I've trouble in my life with who I am and this problem I've got and, and, and sin or, or, or suffering or trouble, whatever. But I know, where do I turn for that? God. God is my Savior. How do I know? Because I ate a meal with Him when He reminded me that He saved me. And God is a, a who keeps His Word. When He makes a promise to me, I can count on it. He's a God who wants to bless me. And granted, if I live in open rebellion, I'm going to make a mess of my life. But if I will walk with Him, He's yearning to be good to me. Even in dreadful circumstances in this broken world, I can still find the good when I walk with the Lord. And so I can still cry out, you were good, you, you fed me with milk and honey. How do I know? Because I ate a meal with you. Or then there's the, how will I get through this trouble? Well, I don't know. But I have a God who led me through times when I didn't know where I was going to go. When there was serpent, the fiery serpent was there and there was no food and I didn't know how my little ones would eat. I've been there. Oh, I haven't. But I've been at a meal with him. I sat down and ate and he was reminding me that he is the providential God who can guide me through the desert. He will get me through this. And so three times a year he would settle them in. And you know what? God is telling us how to do a feast. He's saying when you get together... Don't just eat food. Remember that that good food can settle into your stomach and into your heart. So, and oh, by the way, there's actually seven. There's three of them where you had to make a journey to Jerusalem. But God was such a fan of feasting that he set up seven of them through the course of Israel's life. 
set them up to remember, to, and, and each feast is an echo of Israel's memory to say, this is who you are. This is who I am. Live with me and remember me and remember who I am with you so that you will cry out to me when you are in need. And you will remember that I can deliver, that I can bless, that I can guide. You look to me. That's the purpose of feasting. God was a serious fan of these things. And not only that, (laughs) sometimes the picture of God to us from when we were little kids and we had to go to church and we got smacked in the back of the head when we talked too loud. And we wore uh, shirt collars that were too tight, you know, but granny made you wear it, you know. And it was the only time of the week you had to wear starch and anything. And you sat there all uncomfortable and you, and you sat and you sat. And the preacher went on and on and on. I have a slightly different perspective on that now. But when I was a kid, it was really miserable, you know. And, and so our picture of God is of a God who wants you to be miserable. Listen to this. This is Deuteronomy. This is the Word of God. Deuteronomy. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your male servants, and on and on it goes. Have a party. Invite everybody. That's what I want your feast to look like. And just in case you didn't get it, he said it twice. You shall rejoice in your feast. Different feast, but you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your sons and your daughter, your male servant, your female, and on and on it goes. He's saying, look, I want you to have fun. I want you happy. In fact, I order you to have a great time. It's funny, those are laws that you wouldn't think that the God would have to say. You shall eat pumpkin pie. Okay. <laughs> Twist my arm. You know, eat some chocolate. Oh, darn. Have turkey and gravy over it. If I must. The Lord God is saying you will celebrate. You will not let this life fool you into thinking that there is nothing good here. There is such richness in life with God. And you will rejoice. Now, I'll tell you, there is a reason God's got to command that. Two. One is the, the whole, I can it'll give you at least two. One is the whole thing where we can get so worried about making sure God's happy because when we were little kids, we were taught God's really reverent and, oh, I don't want to put a toe out of line and he'll kill me the way that he did us when he touched the ark and I just want to be so, I don't want to be Nate having to buy you. I don't want to get fried and so I'm going to be really, really careful. And you can forget that, no, God loves you. God loves your laughter and He wants to hear it. He enjoys your song. Rejoice with the Lord your God because He wants to rejoice with you. I forgot my other reason. We'll get to move on. The truth is God wants to be at the very center of joy. Oh, I remember. (laughs) Sorry. Wow. Must be getting old. Uh, it's because in this world it can be very hard to rejoice. Can't it? Many of you came in here carrying wounds that are heavy and hard. Many of you have come to this place with sorrows heavy on your shoulders. As, as Jim mentioned, we live in, 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 a time, in a year of national sorrow that is rather unusual, all the floods and fires and so forth. And the 
tragic shootings that just don't seem to stop. And then there's, some of you are coming up on dreadful anniversaries or have just passed them. There's significant losses of people that you love. Some of you are coming up on, on having to do your first Thanksgiving. It's a little harder to give thanks. We live in that world. And so God tells us, remember to be joyful. Be joyful with me. I want to celebrate with you. Even in the broken world, as broken and messed up as it is, I want to see you joyful. Look, the reason for your creation, as much as I can figure it out from my read of the Bible, the reason you were born, the reason you were made is so that you could love God and be loved by God and so that we could love each other and God could rest among us. Over and over again, he says, they will be my people and I will be their God and God will be in their midst. This is what he wants. This is what God hopes for. This is why he establishes feasts. So that we will get together and remember the joy of our God. We will get together and rejoice together with each other. We will love one another and God can be contented and rest among us. And even in the wounds and the pains of this life, we can find the blessing. We can find the joy. Because we can find our God. So, when we gather around the feast this year, God, what He has set up in the feast in the Bible is feasts that are all connected to stories. Did you see that? All of them are. What if this year when we get together, we tell the story of Thanksgiving and we remember the fact that there was a religious rite involved in the founding of our country? That the people who came here, the reason that liberty was so cherished by them, the reason it was such a big deal is because they had been persecuted because of their love of God. And they came here to be free. What if we remember, as we remember our Americanism, that we remember to cherish God and the freedoms that He provides in these feasts. But even more important, what if you use this feast just to remember God? What if you tell the story of the previous year? What if you have somebody, and you go around the table and say, what is something that's happened to you this year where you saw God what if this is Sunday? You got till Thursday. What if we all prepared and thought back over the year and thought, okay, it's been a great year or it's been a really hard year. God was in it either way. Where has he been? Who has he been in my life? Where has he rescued me? when I was oppressed, when I was in trouble, when I was in danger, where has He been my Deliverer God? Where has He blessed me? Where has He kept His Word and kept His promises? Where has that happened in my life? Or how has He guided me? What did He get me through? Where did He lead me to something wonderful? How did He get me through something hard? 
what if we shared that with each other over the tryptophan? What if when we sat down and we ate the bird, we did more than just celebrate family? We celebrated the wonder of our God. And here is the truth, Christian. Even if you cannot find anything, even if your life has been so hard and things have been so dark, and, and I'm not making light of that, and if that's where you've been this year, and it's just so hard that you cannot find, well, will I, where do I find God? I, I'm, I'm in a season where I'm walking through darkness here. Where do I get? And look to the cross. If there is nothing else that you can think of, you can always think of that. Remember the empty tomb and the salvation that is yours in Christ Jesus, your Lord. And how He has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every blessing. That He has sustained you even in the misery of this broken life. And then He has carried you through. Because let's, let me end with this question. Are there any people anywhere who have more reason to give thanks than Christians? When we gather for thanksgiving, we do it for other reasons and, and to another person. So when you're doing your thanksgiving, have a Christian thanksgiving. Remember the Christ and remember your God because He wants to join you in the feast. When you gather together to feast, make sure you set a plate for Him because He'll be there. Maybe that you come here today and you're looking into your life and there's things that you need to make right or troubles that you're carrying. And I haven't really hit on that much, and that's fine. If you want to make right your life with God this morning, we want to help you do that. We'll pray for you. It may be that you came here today and you're suffering, you're hurting, you want the prayers of the church. Hey, this is a praying church. We want to pray for you. And if you'll let us, we'll do it. And if you're not a Christian, there is no better day to make all of us say thanks than today. If you're subject this morning to the, to the invitation of God, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?